Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store custom closet sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Broadcasting from the mecca of college football, the ATL Atlanta, Georgia, Mike Morgan, J.C. Sherbert. It is the J.C. and Morgan uh, podcast brought to you by BPSkinnerClothiers.com. Glad to uh, be with you for another week after another entertaining and uh, somewhat surprising weekend we had some upsets some major upsets we'll talk about as well we'll look ahead to another week of college football action week number five was some mammoth games one in particular in ohio state penn state that clearly is going to be a groundbreaking game in terms of the playoff race you've got notre dame stanford you got a couple of uh sneaky good maybe not so sneaky because they're going to get a lot of exposure uh games in the sec I thought this past week was a sneaky good week in terms of games, and it kind of turned out that way for a number of uh, teams, a number of games. But before we get into all that, J.C., it's not very often that we start this podcast with hard news, but we have some big hard news that's coming down today as we normally record this podcast on a Wednesday. And uh, I was checking out the Twitter early this morning at Morgan on Air at J.C. Sherbert. And it's your typical run-of-the-mill stuff about this, that, and the other. And then all of a sudden, when you see people writing in caps, breaking, uh, then you know there's something a little bit above and beyond the norm. And, of course, the breaking news is that Kelly Bryant, Clemson quarterback, is going to transfer. The moment he found out that he was not going to be the starter, that Trevor Lawrence was going to be the starter, which really doesn't come as a shocker to most, it certainly was shocking enough for Kelly Bryant to say, I'm not going to practice. I am going to transfer. See ya. And so that's where we pick this story up. I've got a number of thoughts on this, JC. I'll get to in a moment. But first, your reaction. This is a kid I know you followed going all the way back to the recruiting days. Uh, your initial thoughts on the news. Well, I, I think, you know, first and foremost, I, I think Clemson's going to be fine. Um and the reason I say that is, you know, first of all, I think I think Trevor Lawrence is very good. I, I don't know that when you line him up statistically through, you know, four games that, you know, he, his stats are going to blow Bryant's away. I think they're pretty much even as far as that's concerned. But, you know, Clemson, you know, in terms of how people play them, you know, Trevor Lawrence is a better distributor of the football uh, to, to their playmakers that they need. Guys like T. Higgins, Justin Ross, Armani, uh, Armani Rogers. I think it's Armani Rogers. Um, Hunter Renfro, uh, their tight ends, their backs. Uh, and it's just he, he has a better arm. Now, that's not to say Kelly Bryant does not have a good arm. But – Trevor Lawrence has a better Trevor Lawrence has a better arm. Um, in terms of what happens if Trevor Lawrence gets hurt, 
or struggles. Uh, Clemson also has another quarterback, Chase Bryce, who's a very good quarterback in and of himself. He was a four-star kid coming out of high school, played high school ball here in the Atlanta area, uh, and was a solid, solid player. Um, so they do have some depth. I, I do understand uh, Dabo Sweeney's desire, because he said he was sad and disappointed about Bryant leaving, um, to, to keep Kelly Bryant around. I mean, you've got a guy that led you to an ACC championship last year uh, and to a playoff berth, and, and really the only time your team lost last year was to Syracuse, who you play this weekend. Um, and Bryant was hurt for most of that game. Um, so, so I get the desire to, to keep him around. I, I do think that making this move after four games, uh, considering the redshirt rules, is a fair decision. Um, and, and talking to people up at Clemson, even the week before the, the, S, uh, the Texas A&M game, Mike, I was told Lawrence was taking a lot of first-team reps. and all. The writing has sort of been on the wall. Um, and uh, so, so I think it's, you know, if you're Dabo Sweeney, you want to you want to do right by the quarterback that led you to another ACC title last year. And it's good to go ahead and inform him that said, hey, you know, Trevor Lawrence is now the starter uh, and you make the decision you need to do. So Clemson's going to be fine, in my opinion, unless they have, you know, two quarterbacks go down with injury and then it's not going to be so fine, but they still have one of the best defenses in college football. Uh, I think that uh, as far as Kelly Bryant, I think he'll be fine because there's a lot of options out there, Mike, that, that you know, need quarterbacks with experience that fit his skill set, you know. And, and, of course, there's all these articles, oh, he, here are eight places he could probably go and blah, hmm. blah, 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 blah. And, and, look, and some of those are valid and some of them aren't. Um, you think UCLA wouldn't love to have Kelly Bryant? How about Arkansas? How about Arkansas? They desperately could use a Kelly Bryant. <laughs> um, how about Auburn if Jarrett Sidham goes pro? Mm-hmm. How about the University of Florida Gators? Mm-hmm. I mean, in that system that Dan Mullen runs. So I, you know, looking at it, I, you know, he's going to be okay too. I mean, he is a he's a guy that's a runner that's big, um, and I thought. He surpassed expectations every time he stepped on the field for Clemson. Uh, and I understand the Alabama game did not go like Clemson was hoping it would, and he struggles, but lots of quarterbacks struggle against Alabama. I mean, that, that's nothing that's uh, – I mean, you have Deshaun Watson, and he's no Deshaun Watson, and, and quite frankly, right now, neither is Trevor Lawrence. Um, you have Deshaun Watson, that's an X factor and a difference maker. And and Deshaun Watson, both times they played the Crimson Tide, you know, was the, the difference for Clemson in staying in that first game and almost winning it and then winning the national championship game in 2016. Um, so I, I think the expectations maybe for him were a little out of whack uh, in terms of uh, last year's Sugar Bowl. And um, look – I, I get it. I, I understand that, you know, in college football today, uh, when you recruit a bunch of quarterbacks that are really good, you have to kind of manage that. Um, Alabama's even managing it. Lots of programs are. Look at Ohio State, you know, and, and look at the guy that left Ohio State that's now helping LSU. Uh, it's a function of, I don't want to say over-recruiting, but the specific nature of recruiting at that position. Guys can only play – you can only play one at a time. Um, and if they're splitting snaps, they're not happy either. Um, and, and if you can go someplace else and, and take all the snaps and, and help a program 
more power to you. So I, I don't know that this is necessarily going to impact either party in a negative way. I, I have two two thoughts on this that kind of expand into into big picture on this. Uh, number one, very similar to what I saw when Tua won the job over Jalen Hurts, and I can't help but make that comparison. There's some similarities, there's some differences, but I think there's more in common than not. Let's not forget Jalen Hurts was 26 and two as a starter. Jalen Hurts is good enough to start for 90 some odd percent of the teams in Division One college football. Uh, he lost his job. A lot of people thought that was an out an outrage, an outrage. It's bad for it's wrong. How could Saban do that? He he wronged the kid. Well, this just in Alabama is just better with Tua, and <laughs> it, it, it's not even debatable. I'm not saying the 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 difference between these two is that omnipresent, but I am saying there's a difference and Dabo sees it. And my guess is many of the coaches see it. And my guess is a lot of kids in that locker room, even kids that love Kelly Bryant see it as well. They're not victims here. Okay. This is, <laughs> this has been going on for a long time. The, the, the guy who the coaching staff perceives as a better quarterback winds up getting the job for years. Steve Spurrier would yank kids that were putting up ridiculous numbers as a starting quarterback at Florida and they'd get benched and another kid would come in. Ask Terry Dean how that worked out in favor of Danny Werfel. Danny Werfel went on to win a Heisman trophy. Rex Grossman got benched at one point. I mean, it, it, this is, this is what some coaches do. This is not a personal thing. This is a business thing. It is a, what is they what gives us the best chance to win a national championship? And guys like Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban know that the talent is there at every other position uh, and that this and this choice that they make, this Sophie's choice, if you will, uh, it could be the difference between winning a national championship and not. So this is not about Syracuse. This is about what happens come January. Same thing with Alabama. And, and Nick's, I'm convinced Nick Saban, and you heard me say this a number of times, J.C., and just talking to some of the sources I have in, in Alabama, I'm convinced that wasn't even a race, that he knew he was going to start to a, a long time before he actually got around to doing it. Uh, but he wanted to go ahead and, and avoid a situation kind of like what Dabo Sweeney's going through now, where a kid not only says he's going to transfer, but he calls it a slap in the face and that riles up some of the fans and riles up some other people that just want to portray Kelly Bryant as a victim. He's not a victim. And let me just, and the other point is this, there's two more points. I'm sorry. Then I'll stop. Point number one, Kelly Bryant is probably like every other kid that plays quarterback at this high a level. He has dreams of being in the NFL. Okay. Wherever he winds up transferring and you mentioned, you know, already the internet has these top 10 destination lists. And he might go to one of those marquee programs. Or you know what? He could go to a smaller school. He could go to a group five school. He could go to an FCS school. Go ahead and light it up. And guess what? If you're good enough, the NFL is going to find you. I think there's this misconception that the NFL is full of like SEC Big Ten quarterbacks. Look at the list of starters in the NFL right now. Okay. I mean, start with Carson Wentz, one double A. Start with Ben Roethlisberger, Mac. Fitz, Fitzpatrick right now is the talk of the town in Tampa. He he went to a, a an Ivy League school. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, the NFL is full of guys that were not at marquee programs and didn't necessarily put up ridiculously good numbers at marquee programs. If you're good enough, they'll find you. If Kelly Bryant is truly NFL caliber quarterback, 
they are going to find him wherever he lands. They're going to look at tape. They're going to break him down. Then they're going to put him in a combine. They're going to break him down some more. Then they're going to interview him. Then they're going to break him down some more. And they're going to determine whether or not they think he's good enough to make the NFL. And then he'll go to camp. And then he'll play in preseason games. And then they'll have a further determination of whether or not he's good to be in, good enough to be in the NFL. Not a victim here. I, I, I just <laughs> the, some of the overreaction and the the faux outrage just kind of cracks me up when something like this happens. Point number two. To me, there is a lesson to be learned here. Because as we've talked about a number of times, there's only a a certain amount of programs in college football that I truly believe year in, year out, have a chance to win a national championship. I mean, you can count them on two hands. Sometimes you can count them on one. Uh, the, The playoff race, we're talking about the same usual suspects every year. Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, Alabama, Auburn. Maybe LSU gets back there. Maybe one of the Florida schools gets back there. Maybe Southern Cal gets back there. Maybe Notre Dame gets back there. And then what? There is a chasm before you get to 50 other schools that are fighting for maybe a divisional title, maybe a second-grade bowl game. If you are that good and you want to make sure that you have a chance to start all four years or three years or whatever it is, don't go to one of these programs. Go somewhere else because these programs, a la uh, Kirby Smart at Georgia, who has Jake Fromm, who replaced a five-star kid in Eason, lost his job due to injury. You might say, well, that's not fair. That's an outrage. That's life. And then they recruit Fields. Well, if Justin Fields gets a few more reps and he turns out to outshine Jake Fromm and Jake Fromm takes a dip or he's not real accurate for a few games, then Fields could be the guy. Is that an outrage? That No, that's just life. The better guy eventually gets the quarterback job. You want to avoid your your chances of ever being benched? Then go to a school that doesn't recruit five-star kids at quarterback every year. Then go ahead and do that. If you're if you're afraid to compete, if you're concerned about that might be the case, don't go to one of the same five six schools that is going to get those kind of recruits every year on National Signing Day. So I I wonder if maybe some kids actually take that to heart. Because what do we see in JC? You see five-star quarterbacks going to places that already have five-star quarterbacks starting as freshmen and sophomores. Guess what that means? A, you're not going to probably play for a while. And B, if you do, uh, you could wind up losing your job after you finally get the job. So uh, <laughs> I, I just I wonder if maybe we start to see a change in philosophy of how kids stud quarterbacks make up their mind in the recruiting process. Yeah, and I think too. I mean, when you look at it, it's, it they're like dominoes. I mean, it's uh, usually you don't see a school sign two really good ones in a class. Um, it, it just doesn't normally happen that way. In uh, Kelly Bryant's situation, you know, he wasn't a real heavily recruited guy. Um, a lot of schools thought he was maybe a tight end or wide receiver, South Carolina, and um, you know. He he wasn't a guy that uh, was on a lot of radars uh, coming out of high school. He kind of blew up late because he transferred schools, went to Wren High School. Um, Ramon Robinson, one of the quarterback coaches in the upstate, worked with him, and he, and he started throwing it better. And, you know, got to Clemson, and he was the heir apparent. I mean, you know, 6'4", 220, who doesn't want that? Um, so, so he actually made the best choice at the time uh, out of his options. Um, you know, would he have picked a Duke or somebody like that if uh, if he had it to do over again? Maybe I don't know, but 
you know, and then with Jalen Hurts, he was the one quarterback they brought in in that class. Um, but if you look at Alabama, and I don't know, you know, ultimately what's going to happen there, but if you, if you look at Alabama, Hurts came in and knocked out the likes of Blake Barnett and mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, uh, Cooper, uh, whatever Cooper's name, I forgot about him. He's not, I don't think he's playing <laughs> anywhere, but, uh, you know, knock, knock some other guys off the roster. Um, and, and that's just how it goes. And, and I think, too, Dabo Sweeney, you know, Clemson, you look at their remaining schedule, and as of today, South Carolina, at the end of the year, in November, at Death Valley, is their toughest remaining game. Period. There's no question. Um, you know, NC State and Syracuse are undefeated. Both have to come to Death Valley. Florida State is a dumpster fire. Um, <laughs> you know, they're they're gonna and, and and congratulations to the Knowles for beating Northern Illinois over the weekend in that mm-hmm. Orange Bowl rematch. But yes. um, come on, man, um, they're a dumpster fire. You know, Wake at Wake Forest, uh, Dabo Sweeney has, in, you know, unlike Tommy Bowden, he solved the Wake Forest riddle. Um, and Wake Forest got tattooed by Notre Dame this weekend. So I, 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 they're not going to – I don't – I had a friend that texted me today. He's my co-host on the lot on the Gamecocks podcast, my Gamecocks podcast. Uh, if you're a Gamecock fan and you haven't listened to that, please listen to that. He said Clemson could start, start an otter at quarterback and win the rest of their games. And, and, win, and win the ACC – win their division. Yeah. An, an otter. I mean, and, and, and so – Look, the timing was right, you know, both in terms of being fair to Kelly Bryant and in terms of saying, hey, you know, uh, we didn't start you at Texas A&M, but we feel comfortable starting you against Syracuse at home, you know, and and at Boston College, who laid an egg this past weekend, and, you know, everywhere else. And by the time we have to go to Tallahassee, even if FSU's turned it around, you know, that's not going to be as, as intimidating because you you will have started. And, you know, my friend Barton Simmons uh, from 24-7 Sports brought up one more good point. You know, you've got to win a national championship. What if Urban Meyer, instead of sticking with JT Barrett, who obviously never returned to form after his injuries, and what if he'd have, what if he'd have started Dwayne Haskins last year? Could be sitting on another national title. Exactly, and and you he's know, a much better, much better quarterback. And failing to make the change until the second, if Saban hadn't made the change in the second half of the championship game, Bama wouldn't be a national champion. Absolutely. And so you know, you look at kind of what the top program, how how these moves have been made with some of the top programs, and if you're Dabo, you know, look, Clemson's going to be good again next year. They're always going to be good. They've recruited well. But next year, you know, they lose all those defensive linemen. And they've got guys they've recruited behind them. But that's nothing like having a veteran in Wilkins, a veteran in Lawrence. Uh, you know, those veterans are Cleveland Farrell and those guys. That, that D-line and that defense in general gives them a, a shot. And, and he's got to do right by his team and, and the university that he coaches for and, and put his team in the best position to take advantage of that when all is said and done. And I think that, in my opinion, by the time they get to the playoff, and I'd be shocked if they didn't go, 
by that point, Trevor Lawrence is going to be able to get out there and, and help them to compete against an Alabama or an Ohio State or whoever else, uh, you know, better than Kelly Bryant. I mean, even if Kelly Bryant started this weekend against Syracuse and, and, and Kelly Bryant could navigate the ACC schedule in South Carolina and win out and beat Miami or whoever in the, in the championship game, when it gets down to it, and you're facing an elite defense like Alabama has or like Ohio State has or whoever they play, or you got to go outscore in Oklahoma, you know, at that point with, you know, however many nine starts under his belt, you know, Trevor Lawrence is going to be ready to go do that and do it at a higher level than Kelly Bryant. Just to amplify your last point, I'll, I'll close on this. You mentioned – how Alabama won their national title last year, right? I mean, we, we both agree. If Jalen Hurts stays in that game, Georgia sitting on a national championship, Alabama's is not. They would have lost out, okay? Agree with that? That Jalen Hurts wasn't? Agreed. Okay. So just imagine for a moment if Nick Saban, in a tender moment in his heart, said, you know what? I've watched this to a kid in practice. He's clearly the, the better quarterback clearly gives me a better chance to win but I'm a loyalty guy and and you know it, sh- it just wouldn't be the right move here to to yank Jalen Hurts it wouldn't be fair to the kid I'm gonna go ahead and keep him in the game and roll the dice with that well then what happens they continue to have no passing game Georgia who already has a lead uh continues to just baffle uh, Alabama's offense because the way Georgia was wired last year you couldn't just gut it up the middle every time and get seven, eight yards and gash them. That's not that Georgia defense wasn't going to be beaten that way. So Alabama would not have won the national title then. And people still didn't, you know, Bama fans, I'm sure looked at message boards and saw different things on how good Tua was, but they didn't really know until this year. Now it's like, Oh my goodness. Just imagine if Nick Saban went that route, what would people be saying about, his decision to not bring Tua into that game. And we would say, what the heck? Why did we not see this kid last year? What, what were we thinking? What was Nick Saban doing? Nick Saban made an executive decision to help put another national championship on the board. And I'll say it again, the, the move to go to Trevor Lawrence, and I'm not saying he's Tua. I have no idea how, how good Trevor's going to be. Dabo sees him a lot more than I do. What I've seen, I mean, there's no question the kid's ridiculously talented in terms of natural ability and is probably going to be playing on Sundays, which is more than I can say for Kelly Bryant. But he looked at it and he said, this is not a decision about winning the Syracuse game at home here in late September. This is a decision on how we win a national championship in January. And it simply comes down to that. And again, if he really wanted to screw the kid over, and if he didn't give a damn about the kid at all, as you said, he could have started him against Syracuse, do the whole shuffle with Lawrence again, and then as he's burned the redshirt opportunity, just go ahead and leave the kid high and dry, announce the week later that Lawrence is your starter, and see what Kelly Bryant does then. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. So again, I... I, I have no problem with any of this, and I don't even have a problem with if Kelly Bryant wants to go ahead and transfer. Hey, go for it. I, I don't think I don't think it's a wise thing to start saying it's a slap in the face and acting like you were entitled to the starting job all season long. But you know, if you want to go ahead and say something on the way out, that's it's, it's your yeah. prerogative. And he did. But, uh, 
And he, he did. did. I he know. Did. He I know. said, yeah. I don't think I've been treated fairly. And so, yeah. and, 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 I, and I'm going to say this, that there is a potential negative, but if, look, I've watched Clemson recruit long enough to where if any staff can kind of figure this out, it's going to be, I mean, because you do, Kelly Bryant is a South Carolina kid. You know, he's a state of South Carolina kid. He's an in-state kid. And you put that on top of Josh Belk transferring out and heading to South Carolina, uh, a five-star, four, four or five-star defensive tackle. Um, and you kind of look at, you know, the in-state recruiting dynamics. You know, South Carolina's a funny place as far as that goes. And uh, you can bet they're going to use it against them in recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I, I am – from a Clemson standpoint, I'm 0% concerned about that. You know, Clemson's one of the three best programs in college football right now, four best. Um, it's not going to matter uh, even with the optic. I think the optics are a little bad when a player says, I haven't been treated fairly. You never want that. But, I mean, they're going to be able to to sit there and point to, like, five reasons why he was, <laughs> and, and, and they'll be fine with regards to that. And, and I'm sure there's some coaches at the high school level around the state that are going to, you know, you know, be outraged by this. But, you know, they're outraged about a lot with both major programs most of the time. And last time I checked, Clemson and South Carolina both keep most of the talent uh, in the Palmetto State when, they're, when, it's, when it exists right there uh, at home. So I'm, I'm not, not, you know, for Clemson people that are worried about, you know, this is going to hurt in-state recruiting or for Carolina people or other people that think, oh, there's an opening now. You know, kids are going to pick who they want to pick between the two in-state schools regardless of any situation like yeah, this. They, they, still have, they, they still have a slide to, to, to they go do, down, right? They do have the slide, and the, more importantly, the, they have a national championship banner. Yes, yeah. and and, a, and they're in the playoff every year. Yeah, uh, just about uh, this year, probably included. So I, I think that'll trump uh, any any sore feelings that uh, Kelly Bryant has on the way out. All right, so enough of all that. Let's go back and uh, and take a look at what happened this past week. Remember, I was calling it kind of sneaky good Saturday mm-hmm. because I I thought you know while everybody was obsessed with Jimbo Fisher and A and M taking on Alabama, uh, that game to me was exactly what I thought it would be. Keep it close for a quarter and a half, and then Alabama just explodes, and they're much more talented, and they're just better, and that's what they did. So uh, that was not a close game. I didn't expect it to be a close game. Alabama pretty much dictated what they wanted to do, and and that offense simply cannot be stopped. If they wanted to score 50-plus, they would have. They settled for 45. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped Striped. Striped. boat neck sweaters. Sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped Striped. Striped. boat neck neck. sweaters. 
The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. Uh, but the sneaky good games, I talked about Kentucky, Mississippi State. I talked about, uh, uh, the, I thought South Carolina Vanderbilt had a chance to be sneaky good. Gamecocks wound up blowing out Vanderbilt. Uh, Texas TCU lived up to what I thought it would be. And don't look now, but Texas is starting to look like what they thought it would look like under Tom Herman. Uh, Wisconsin, Iowa, I thought was a, a potentially sneaky game. You know, there, Arizona State, Washington, there were a lot of games that didn't grab all the, the national headlines that were pretty good last weekend. And I would just say this, for, for me, what stood out, uh, and it leads into a rather intriguing matchup this weekend with Kentucky, South Carolina. What Kentucky did to Mississippi State, and I, you know, I said this a couple weeks ago because I had Kentucky and I asked point blank uh, whether or not Mark Stoops, I just looked him in the eye and said, is this your best team? And that, that gets, a lot of times coaches get real sensitive to that question because they don't want to take away from any of the other team. You know, if you ask Nick Saban that question, he has to sit there and decipher, <laughs> well, of my, of my five national championship teams, hmm, is this one better than the one I won in 09 or the one I won in 2011 or 12? I mean, you know, but for most coaches, that's a real sensitive subject and, and they don't want to answer that because they don't want to take away from other teams and blah, 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 blah. With, in, a, in a New York second, he said, yes, it's our most complete team. It's our best team. So uh, Kentucky goes at Mississippi state has been a darling this year, an mm-hmm. absolute darling. And of course they'll take on Florida and the Mullen bowl on Saturday, another intriguing game. Uh, but they got beat and they got beat on the line. Again, this is not your typical Kentucky team. It's got some skilled players, but they're soft on, on the line of scrimmage. They've got some people on the line, and they wound up controlling that game and winning it 28-7. So that, that's one of the ones that uh, uh, stood out to me as kind of an under-the-radar game that a lot of people are just, eh, Kentucky's a 10-point dog at home. They're, they're Kentucky. It's a basketball school. No thanks. Not interested. Where's the Alabama game? I want to see Alabama-Texas A&M. Uh, what are some of the other games that stood out to you over the weekend? Well, I mean, that, that Kentucky game surprised me because I, I've watched Mississippi State a bunch this year, and I felt like, you know, their defensive line would have performed better against Kentucky's run game, and Kentucky's offensive line actually played well. I, I think that what we said about Nick Fitzgerald at the beginning of the year as far as how he fits in this offense, um, completed 50% of his passes in the game, just could not – you know, he, he's not very accurate down the field. And that works when you're in Dan Mullen's system because it's a quarterback power run kind of deal. But in Joe Moorhead's system, you need a guy kind of like Trace McSorley who can make the quick throws downfield, uh, can manage the passing game, and also run a little bit. So I, 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 uh, I think that sort of did Mississippi State in because Kentucky's defense, and, and they are 11th in the country in total defense right now, 11th. Mm-hmm. Um, Kentucky's defense, which has a bunch of seniors, uh, their secondary has a, has some guys that ha- were highly rated coming out of high school, but have been up and down a little bit. Um, Mike Edwards and Darius West were, were two very good safeties out of Ohio when they came out and were recruits. Um, you have a, a six, three corner and Beatty out there, uh, and a linebacker cash Daniel. He's an in-state kid who, I really like coming out of high school as well. He's just a, a, a hardcore – kind of reminds you of Ben Bolware who played at Clemson. Um, and then their defensive line's good with, with Allen off the edge. Funny thing about Allen, he was committed to Monmouth 
Mike <laughs> Mon- Monmouth. Wow. Uh, and Kentucky got him there, and uh, he, uh, you know, he, he he's an example of when you get, sometimes you get these tall, lean guys, and you put 30, 40 pounds on them, and all of a sudden they're really fast off the edge. You know, I thought Mississippi State's offensive line played like crap, uh, which surprised me, but more surprisingly was their defensive line. I didn't know, I didn't see Florida going to Knoxville and blowing them out. I felt like Tennessee would play a good game. Um, I, I thought that, uh, you know, if you're Jeremy Pruitt, you sort of circle. I mean, you circle Florida every year if you're Tennessee, but uh, you look at it and you see it as an opportunity at night, at home, you knock off the Gators. Hey, that gets you closer to a bowl, and all of a sudden, you know, the season's looking rosy. The West Virginia game's in your background. But this game was worse than the West Virginia game. I mean, you know, Tennessee competed with West Virginia for a half. Right. I mean, this was this was a well, they dr- turned it over. Yeah, it's a drubbing. They gave it away. They, a, they absolutely gave it away. It's a drubbing, and and this tells me it's going to be a long, long year in Knoxville. Um, and I think you know you got to just go recruit <laughs> and make the best of it. They are worse than they should be. But I think we knew that they would be because he has to change some culture there. I mean, you're talking about a team last year uh, that that was not awful talent-wise that didn't win an SEC football game. Um, And and I think some of those underachieving guys are still underachieving up there. Uh, I don't think they have a quarterback. I I don't know that they're overly talented at running back. Um, And their lines of, of scrimmage, you know, with all the potential that Butch Jones recruited on the line of scrimmage there, it just hasn't happened. That Those guys have been bust. So he's got a, he's got a big issue. I thought it was a big win for Felipe Franks in Florida. Gives them some, some momentum going into – but I, I think they're walking into a snake pit this weekend in, in Starkville with Mississippi State coming off a loss. But um, – and the the dynamics of that ball game, mm-hmm. but but I, I didn't see Florida doing that. I didn't necessarily see Notre Dame blowing out Wake Forest. Starting Ian Book at quarterback was was brilliant. And I'll be honest, I know Nebraska's got problems right now. I did not see Michigan beating them fifty six to ten. So I, I think Michigan, mm-hmm. you know, after that Notre Dame thing at the beginning of the year, I think they've turned it around. They've had some impressive victories. Uh, absolutely. And by the way, how do you not start book now? Right. Oh I mean, yeah. You have to. You so have are, to. Are, are, are we going to so, call so Wimbush? Are we, we going to call him a victim? Are we going to have <laughs> some outrage over that? I mean, come on folks. It's, 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 this is not, it, they're not giving away orange slices after the game. You don't have a team mom. This is, this is big time college athletics. Sometimes the better guy just wins the job. <laughs> you got to move on. Uh, it, yeah, that, I mean, that's a story looking forward because Notre Dame with a quarterback that can do that, all of a sudden they could easily if they if they do what they need to this weekend they're they're in the playoff discussion now i mean now they're 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 on the map whereas before even though they they the win over michigan was impressive i think a lot of people watch notre dame scuffle with vanderbilt and ball state and like eh, same old vanderbilt good but not good enough uh by the way josh allen is the guy you were speaking of at kentucky and and he is a a first round pick, number one rated outside linebacker by Todd McShay, just to back up your your point about how good their defense is right now. It's a it's a different level of talent over there. And I'll say one other thing on the uh, and I, I 
I'm not trying to pick on the kid, but I'll put this under the hits category. One of the reasons why I wasn't as high in Mississippi State as everybody else, one of the reasons why I gave Kentucky a good chance to win this game is because Nick Fitzgerald is a tremendous athlete, is incredibly exciting to watch. But I go back to what I've always said about the quarterback position. It's more so in the NFL, but, but still somewhat even in college. At some point, even if you're a great athlete that can make all kinds of plays on the ground, you have to be able to make plays in the passing game, some of them in the pocket. I'm not convinced Nick Fitzgerald is a next-level passer, and, and that's going to catch up. In a league like the SEC, he's not going to just be able to out-athlete everybody game after game, week after week. At some point, that can catch up to you, and I thought it caught up to him in that game. I mean, they, they scored a touchdown, I think, on their opening drive, and then they were shut out for another three and a half quarters plus uh, I mean, Kentucky's off, excuse me, Mississippi state's offense was anemic at that point. And we know they have athletes on that offense. Uh, you mentioned their offensive line had issues. Yes. But I, I think some of that is on Fitzgerald as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Florida, Tennessee. Look, I do think Ty Chandler is a talent at running back, but they don't have enough. As you mentioned, they Guarantano to me is still not an sec quarterback. Uh, that that tells you they just don't have many other options. How many times, JC, in a game of this magnitude? And believe you me, folks, for Tennessee and Florida, this is still a huge game. I realize this is probably as irrelevant as that game has been in a long time, nationally speaking. Uh, but it means a lot to those two programs. Tennessee had four different players fumble the football away. Four. That's that's hard to do. That's hard to do. Four different guys coughed it up and gave it to, to Florida. So that allows you... I mean, the reason I thought that game would be close is because I'm not a big Felipe Franks guy. Well, Felipe Franks only completed nine passes. That's all he had to. Tennessee lost that game in the opening minutes. They just, it's like, <coughs> turnover, <coughs> turnover. They just didn't want the ball. And so you, you made it, you made it rather easy for Florida. That was not a statement that Florida is back. That was not a statement that Felipe Franks is good. And as you pointed out, that's not a statement that they're ready to take on Mississippi State and Starkville and, and win that game. I, I, I'm not a huge believer, more of a believer in Florida after the game against Tennessee than I was before. And again, I, I thought the best year Tennessee could have this, this season was six and six. Now I'm kind of looking at that and I'm scratching my head saying, where are they going to get six wins? Yeah, they could be three and nine. They could, they could go winless in the league uh, yet again because I – Right now, they're 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 not as good as any of the other teams in the East, including Vanderbilt. Right. Um. You know, and and that Vanderbilt. I mean, Vanderbilt's won four of the last six in that series, so they're right. not gonna, they're not going to show. <laughs> that, that, that could be an important game uh, for them. Just a couple more things about this week. Uh, you know, wanted to go over, and it was sneaky good in a lot of ways. Uh, congratulations to the United States Military Academy. West Point yes. for playing Oklahoma to overtime. My goodness, don't schedule Army or Navy. Don't do it, Mm-mm. man. They they went like a nine minute drive. The option was in full effect. So there are no moral victories, okay? But if this were uh, before there were overtime rules in college football, that would have game would have ended in a tie. <laughs> you know, and, and ask the 1990 Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets how a tie uh, could end up torpedoing a championship run uh, in this sport. Want to give a shout out to Cliff Kingsbury and Texas Tech. You know, Oklahoma State started this season really well. They had a big win over Boise State. The Red Raiders go to Stillwater and win 41-17 and are now in the top 25. 
Cliff just keeps keeps doing enough to keep his job. Yeah, and he's an alum, and and probably he should. But uh, you know, yeah, like they beat Arkansas a couple of years ago when they were decent or had high expectations. So, you know, good for them. And then finally, um, Justin Fuente. If any coach can mm. manage this, he can. Um, but this is the first small crack I think in his armor. Virginia Tech thirteenth in the country, off to such a good start. And this is another one of those scheduling things. I understand why you do it. Some of the greatest players in the history of your program are from the 757. Uh, you've got an FBS-level program over there in Old Dominion. Um, you roll over there, a bunch of local Hokies show up and cheer you on to a big victory. Didn't happen. Old Dominion, 49, Virginia Tech, 35. Now Virginia Tech's starting quarterback is out, and their starting defensive end, Trevon Hill, gets kicked off the team. Um, and that's that's probably like the third or fourth defensive starter that's been booted, uh, if you count the offseason for the Hokies. So, you know, once again, I talked about the ACC. Times are hard for everybody in that league right now, yeah. except Clemson. I mean, Boston College looked promising. Purdue held them to 13 points. Purdue that plays no defense got their first one of the year 30-13 to 13 over the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, gosh, a couple things on that game. Number one should be pointed out. Virginia Tech didn't lose their quarterback until late. They were already losing that mm-hmm. game to yeah. Old Dominion. Old Dominion just just outplayed him. This was not like a fluke. I mean, there's nothing flukish about this game. Old Dominion scored 28 points in the fourth quarter for crying out loud. <laughs> 28 points. Um, I could actually say I think I'm one of the few people on the planet that have called a nationally televised game at Old Dominion. I did it years ago in my Fox days. I don't know how we wound up with a game there, but we did. And um, I can't even remember who they played. It might have been somebody from the Big 12, or it might have been another, like a, a heavyweight in Conference USA. I don't know, but somehow we did. Norfolk, nice area. Love the uh, naval ships right there on the water, across from the restaurants and bars. Had a good time. But I can tell you this, you know that that was about five years ago. So they were they were into Division One football again. They were back in the D one football business for a few years. I I mean I felt like I was, and I'm not piling on here. Big a big congratulations to Old Dominion. But I, I mean I thought I was at like a one double A school. Yeah. This is not an intimidating crowd. This is not a great stadium. This is a, a program that now uh, their quarterback that they had at the time was now I think in the NFL uh, Heineke Heineke. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Uh, now he was legit. That might have been one of the reasons why we were there in the first place because he was, he. I mean, he was a ridiculously talented quarterback. They don't have anybody like that now that I know of. I mean, this this might be the biggest upset of the year when we're when we're Old Dominion. It's not. It's not like they're. You know how I always say not always not all Group Five teams, not all FCS teams are built the same. So when you when you put one of those on the schedule, which everybody likes to do, make sure you're creative with it. So, I mean, there's a big difference between, you know, scheduling Western Kentucky, one school out of Conference USA. Uh, well, that's not even a good example because they were good under Brom. There's a big difference between scheduling Southern Miss. They've hit some hard times here the last few years uh, versus scheduling, uh, take, for example, I don't know, Marshall in a given year or some, somebody like that. You have to be, you have to be creative. You can't just say, let's schedule somebody from conference USA for an automatic win. This should have been an automatic win. Old dominion was and three coming in. Mm-hmm. They got, they got blasted by Liberty JC. They lost to Charlotte. I, I mean, there is nothing to lead you to believe 
that they belonged on the same field. I don't care if they played it in the head coach's backyard. Virginia Tech had no business losing this game. Last week, everybody liked to uh, – they, they enjoyed and were gleeful piling on to the Big Ten, right? Because they had, what, seven out-of-conference losses? Yeah. But my point to that was, at the end of the day, people don't care about the bottom half of conferences when they're judging conferences. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to say we're the deepest league in, in America. And if you're, if you're both the deepest and the best at the top, like the SEC often is, then you really got something to brag about. But most people look at the top five, top three teams. That's how they judge conferences. And the Big Ten still has Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, still pretty damn good you know, at the top. So I, I didn't lose respect for the Big Ten overall because of what happened. Yeah, the Wisconsin loss is disappointing. The other ones, you had, you had average teams losing to below average teams. The ACC, on the other hand, does not have that luxury because they don't have a three-headed monster at the top or a four-headed monster at the top if you included Wisconsin. What, what they have is Clemson. What they were hoping for was Florida State. As you mentioned, they are a, a – a dumpster fire right now. What they were hoping for was Miami. Miami gets waxed by LSU. And then what they were hoping for was Virginia tech. And they go ahead and they get stunned by old dominion, the mighty monarchs. And on top of that, Notre Dame blasting wake forest, uh, doesn't help. And Boston college who we were starting to legitimize crack the top 25. They go on the road and they lose to an 0-3 Purdue team. So this to me was a more debilitating week for a conference than uh, in the ACC than it was last week in the Big Ten. Because now everybody and their grandmother looks at the ACC and they say Clemson and then what? Whereas the Big Ten still has multiple teams at the top that are not only credible, but are even playoff contenders. The ACC has none of that going for it right now. Yeah, none. Now, now, I will say this. Virginia Tech, through the years, you know, 1998, they uh, hosted an 0-6 Temple team that was a 35-and-a-half-point underdog, lost 28-24. Um, they ended up rebounding, and, and that was kind of one of the first really good Virginia Tech teams. They beat Bama in the Music City Bowl. <coughs> Michael Vick um, <coughs> led them to the championship game a year later. Uh and so they, they, they rallied and, and, and turned it around. Um, they lost to James Madison at home, 21-16. to 16. That's right. Uh, you know, a few years A one back. AA power one, again. Yes. They're not all built alike. You don't schedule James Madison or North Dakota State. Yeah. I mean, and uh, Virginia Tech ripped off 11 straight and beat Florida State in the ACC championship game. Uh, lost to Stanford in the Orange Bowl. Um, you know, and, and so, so it doesn't, you know, Virginia Tech's problems, I think, are with the suspensions and now injuries, you know, that's going to that's going to add up. I think those are bigger problems than suffering another historical upset. But in the history uh, of this program, there's times where you just go, wow. Yeah. And we don't think of that in terms of Virginia Tech. We always think of them as being very, very solid. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, you know, maybe not always great. Maybe they'll they'll lose to the teams that are better than they are. But you know, they're going to show up and play. And it's just this has happened. This is the third time it's happened over the years since they've really come to prominence. So very fair point. And let me just say this: Justin Fuente to me still a great coach. Virginia Tech still a great program. I mean, they're going to be fine long term. But for one week for the ACC. Um, yeah, you com- combine that with the debacle that is Florida State over the last few weeks to combine that with Miami's loss to 
uh, LSU in convincing fashion. I mean, there's just nothing to get amped up about. You remember the narrative. You go back to ACC media days. I actually listened to some of that. You had a lot of the talking heads saying, oh, this league has never been deeper. Oh, what a, what a deep league. The ACC is the on the rise. Well, Clemson is on the rise. They actually have already risen. I, I don't know. I don't know right now if this is the year that you kind of wave that flag that look at how deep we are. Maybe down the road that's the case, but not necessarily this year. No way. And and let me tell you why that's BS real quick. My final point on this is you have – here's why that's just total propaganda. That's why the the North Korean minister of propaganda may as well put that out. Look, and I'm going to admit, folks that love the ACC, in 2016, top to bottom, better league than the SEC. No question. Yep, agreed. No agreed. question. And it, and it proved its way out on the field. Uh, and you had great quarterbacks up and down the roster of the league. You had the Heisman Trophy winner. You had Deshaun Watson. You had Mitch Trubisky. That's the Heisman winner. That's the who I think was the best player in college football. And also, oh, by the way, the top quarterback taken in the draft. All right, so, so here's why that's wrong about depth. Yes, Syracuse and Duke are off to great starts. Yes, Wake Forest is somewhat competitive and and could go to a bowl and win games. But you've also got North Carolina struggling. You've got Louisville that's bottomed out that lost to Virginia 27-3 over the weekend. And and they look like they're going south. And and, and you've got uh, Georgia Tech, who is normally good, who who really is, is sort of hapless, who lost to Pitt. And then Pitt turns around this week and loses to North Carolina. You have a lot of not mediocre teams, Mike. You have a lot of bad teams that should be good, and that elevates the teams like Syracuse and like Boston College, who will probably rebound and you know could go 6-2 and two in the league. Um, that elevates Duke, Wake Forest, Syracuse, a BC that needs to get up. Um, so it's, you know, to me – I mean, we're gonna we may end up with Duke and Miami deciding that other division because it doesn't mm-hmm. Miami else is going to do anything, and then Clemson rolling in the Atlantic, and then you know it'll be up to Miami to kind of you know put the LSU loss behind them and 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 move forward. But I just you know I just I think that league is the worst among the Power Five leagues uh, outside of Clemson right now through four weeks, and it's not even close. It, and again, it's cyclical. As you pointed out two years ago, it, it was a banner year for that conference. Great quarterback play. I think that's that was the true ascension of Clemson football to kind of solidify where they are. Uh, Florida State was Florida State. Uh, Louisville. Remember when Louisville was good? It's, it's only fitting that Florida State and Louisville play one another this week hmm. because for the ACC to be a, a power in football, again, it has to be more than just Clemson. I think Miami is in good shape. I don't know about great shape under Mark Richt. Uh, but obviously you need Florida State to get back. And the Willie Taggart saga, I, I, we'll see how that goes. I mean, I have my doubts, I'll admit it. Uh, and then Louisville, I really wonder, can Louisville get back up? Um, mm. That is a program that lost its AD in, in, in a way – Sometimes you lose an AD. It's like you shrug the shoulders. Oh, who cares? Just a glorified fundraiser anyway. Tom Jurich was more than that for Louisville. Tom Jurich kind of had a swag about him. Uh, yes, he was controversial. Uh, the, the mere fact that he hired Bobby Petrino was controversial. But Louisville was kind of like, hey, you're not just going to look at us as the number two program in basketball in our own state and in the relevant football program. Uh, we, we're going we're gonna to be legit. 
We got this big, huge sneaker deal. We got all kinds of money. We got Papa John's no longer, but we got a lot of money coming in and look at us. And so that really helped bolster the ACC because you got somebody you didn't think would really help you that much in football. And they did. And now they're not. And now you wonder, are they, are they ever going to get back to that point where they were like a legitimate top 20 program in football? That remains to be seen as well. All right. So we look ahead of this week and we mentioned it. There's one game that clearly sticks uh, head and shoulders above the rest. It's going to be one of the biggest games of the year. Can't wait to watch it. It comes out of the Big Ten. It's Ohio State. It's Penn State. It's going to be prime time on ABC. Urban Meyer, of course, is back on the sideline. James Franklin uh, trying to make another statement that Penn State football is completely back. I mean, you remember the NCAA did everything they could to kind of bury Penn State. I mm-hmm. thought there was, I, I mean, Jerry Sandusky, Sandusky is a, a wretched human being and deserves whatever punishment he gets from now until the end of time and then some. But they wanted, Mark Emmert did a little grandstanding there and wanted to prove to everybody how tough he was by just trying to absolutely cripple the program. I don't think he envisioned that they'd be this good again five years later, but they are. Uh, and, and I'm happy for Penn State fans because they had nothing to do with the atrocity that happened with Jerry Sandusky. Uh, these are good people. They love their program. Penn State is a good school. I've been to Happy Valley. I, I, there's a lot of things to like about it. So I, for one, am, I'm glad that Penn State is back. And, and I think this is a very enticing game uh, to watch. Remember, it was the big blocked field goal. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, just a, a couple of years ago to help determine that one. And here we go. What do you think? I, I think it, it, it's a Titanic mammoth game, um, you know, over in happy Valley. And, and I'm with you. I know a lot of Penn state people. I, I've been there. I've never been for a game. And, and what's interesting uh, about that stadium to me, I've been there for camps in the sun, in the summer, which is great because the weather's usually awesome. And it's a beautiful drive up through rural Pennsylvania um, in politics, they say Pennsylvania's Pittsburgh in the West, Philadelphia in the East, and Alabama in the middle. Uh, <laughs> I would have to say Northern Alabama if, if you're going to compare that. But, uh, you know, just a beautiful place. And what's interesting is the stadium actually sits up on a hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the term Happy Valley, because we have all these valleys, we have the competing death valleys and valley, 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 all that good stuff. The valley is where the, the school's located because it's in a valley. You know, that's where State College is. And, um, but, but uh, you know, even uh, some friends of mine, a friend of mine that died that was a doctor um, up in Pennsylvania, really nice man that I knew, you know, about 10 years back, was a big Penn State guy. Uh, great fan base. You know, res- they respect the game. They're knowledgeable. Uh, they're awesome. And, and look. James Franklin has his detractors out there because he is brash and he does speak his mind. And, you know, you kind of get a salesman feel, you know, around him. Uh, But he's a legit guy. I mean, I got to know him a little bit when uh, I was in Nashville and he was at Vandy. And and he's a winner. I mean, he is a winner. And, And you have to feel like a complete nincompoop if you're the University of Maryland. Uh, because James Franklin was your head coach in waiting under Ralph Friedgen. <laughs> mm. And he left to take the Vandy job. Um, and, 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 you know, he's at home. He's a Pennsylvania guy. Penn State ha- has the resources to go recruit up and down the eastern seaboard. They're back 
plucking kids out of D.C. and Maryland. They're back plucking the top kids out of New Jersey. They're tough in state, and then they go west and national to the south. I mean, down to Florida. You know, Penn State should be one of the better programs in the country, and they are, and and they have been here for two or three years. Ohio State, though, um, to me, given the the Urban Meyer situation, uh, and then given the fact that you had to go play TCU down in Arlington, and, and TCU in spite of the loss to Texas and the loss to, to the Buckeyes, there are no pushover and going down there in a big game without your head coach and stuff. They're battle-tested. Um, you know, I, even their opener, I know it was 77-31 against Oregon State. It's still a Power 5 football team. Um, and, and so that's going to be my question, you know, going in in terms of Penn State and their potential success in this game is that I've seen Ohio State go into situations like this before. And they just go in and, and, and weather the storm and roll. Um, and and I, I think that on paper, or from what I've seen out of the two teams so far, I think Ohio State is better than the Nittany Lions. That doesn't mean they're going to win. Um, and I think Trace McSorley and Dwayne Haskins both, you know, that's a matchup within the matchup, you know, comparing those two guys. And uh, we'll ultimately see what happens um, you know, in the ball game. If I'm Ohio State, I'm looking to, to shut the run down. Uh, and make Penn State one-dimensional. And if I'm Penn State, you know, I'm probably going to have to pick my poison, but I'd probably, you know, I'd probably pick shutting Ohio State's run down down as well and, uh, you know, to try to get Haskins uh, in a a true road start because there were 20,000 Buckeyes in Arlington. Um, This is a true hostile environment, and that's his first start uh, in that kind of situation to try to get Haskins – a little off balance, but you know, good luck with that. I think Ohio State wins the game, um, but uh, it should be a classic, and I think that there will be punches landed on both sides. Such a such a a great matchup to have uh, at this point in the season. These are the kind of games that you you really, as a college football fan, you live for. I, I'm guessing ABC is going to draw a really big number on this one. Remember, Ohio State now does not have Nick Boza. That is definitely a factor in this game. You're talking about a guy that's the potential number one pick in the NFL draft. So that that cripples them a little bit on the line. Although they got, they might not be quite Clemson, but they're not far off. They are not a one trick pony on that D line. They got other guys that can get after the passer uh, and can get after Miles Sanders, Penn State's running back which is off to a good start. He might, it's not Saquon Barkley, but Penn State does have a running game. But as you mentioned, Penn State just hasn't played anybody, so it's really hard to get a good feel on just how good they are. Uh, but the game's at home. I, McSorley, uh, I'm kind of leaning. I'm leaning a little bit toward Penn State. Uh-oh. I'm leaning a li- here on a Wednesday, I'm leaning a little bit toward Penn State. That, that would cement his legend. You know, he, you know, you know, no, Trace McSorley. You know, he was committed, oh, yeah. committed to Vanderbilt when Franklin I did not was there. Know that. I, I, yeah, I covered his recruitment pretty close from Northern Virginia, and you know, Vandy was where he was going to go. He, he didn't, you know. And I talked to his dad every now and then. He's like, I don't understand why Trace doesn't have more interest. I was like, well, it's probably you know because he's six one or six foot. He is, and Gamecock fans out there will remember this guy. He's con- he's basically Connor Shaw. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, maybe with better passing stats through, you know, his career so far. 
one of those guys, not very, not very big, good arm, heady player, and has wheels, and he can hurt you, and and that would, that would cement his legend. I I, I think Trace McSorley uh, is one of the guys that they don't talk about enough in college football, and it's probably because Saquon Barkley was his running back last year, and he was really really good. But I think McSorley is is, is a guy that doesn't still doesn't get enough credit, but is a special special player. Yeah, I, I'm I'm going with the fighting Franklins on an upset there. We'll see. Um, the other one, of course, Notre Dame at home against the Stanford Cardinals. Stanford's been kind of living on the edge a little bit. Some would say Notre Dame has too, but both teams. This is a huge game. The winner is going to be in a very good spot uh, to at least have a, a, a good chance at a playoff. I think the loser is going to be really behind the eight ball in terms of that in a 14 playoff structure but your thoughts on the cardinal and the irish you know I'm, i was the game last week in eugene i was actually more I was a little more impressed with oregon than i thought i would be and and certainly i, I think i think oregon's kind of on its way back a little they, bit they, they blew that game about as, as as much as a team could blow a game late yeah they absolutely uh <laughs> That's that's what happens. It away. You got to go through that though when you're trying to get back and you're playing a really good team like Stanford. Oh, just take a knee. I I love Coach Cristobal, yeah. and I was pulling for Oregon because I I I think you and I are on the same page here. It'd be good to have Oregon football back. Yeah. Uh, right now, it'd be good to have anybody. You know, instead of the same six schools in the discussion for powers in college football, that would have been a turn the the, the corner win. And they had it. All you have to do is take a knee there a couple of times. You've got it, and they 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 gave it away. But I digress. Yeah, Stanford. You know, Stanford keeps winning when the the football playoff poll comes out. They they have a good shot at being number one. Uh, and I'll tell you why because it goes by strength of schedule and quality wins at that time. And, and so far, they've beaten San Diego State, who's a good enough team to beat to upset Arizona State. They beat SC seventeen to three. UC Davis thirty to ten. They won at Oregon, and here are their forthcoming games. Mike, uh, they got to get to November third. If they get to November third undefeated, Stanford could very well be in the playoff this year, uh, and, and that would kind of I think validate David Shaw because they've been what I would call very good, but they, they haven't. Re- you don't really talk about Stanford when you talk about Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, uh, Ohio State schools like that. So they go at Notre Dame. They have Utah at home. They go at Arizona State. Washington State comes in, and then they go to Seattle to play the Washington Huskies on November. That's 3rd. the one, and and that's you know that's going to be everything. And and I think that given the uh, the schedule they've played, you know this could even be Mike. Hear me out. A Pac-12 team with one loss that gets into the playoff. Who? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Maybe you're you're saying if they lose to Notre Dame but beat Washington, yeah, yeah, say, yeah, the I other mean, way around, you know, provided provided Washington, you know, or, yeah, or lose lose at Notre Dame and 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 then beat Washington, or, or let's say you know because they've they've got to find a way. Although teams that haven't won their conference have gotten into the playoff, but not Pac-12 teams, not Pac-12 teams. <laughs> not Pac-12 teams. But, but no, I I just I just look and see who they've beaten, and and a lot of this is going to depend on you know. Uh, what's Oregon going to do at when they play at a surprising Cal team who's number 24 in the country this weekend? Um, are they going to continue to play ball and be better? 
Could they potentially upset Washington? You know, is SC going to get it together and win their division? How good will Utah and Arizona State ultimately be? But if those teams keep on trucking, Stanford's schedule sets up really nice. You know what it could depend on? The loser of Ohio State, Penn State, winning the rest of the way. Yes. Because I have a feeling if that happens, uh, a one-loss Pac-12 team is going to be trumped. Yeah. By a one loss Penn State or Ohio State. And again, of course, from the SEC side, you know, does does Georgia, do they run the table but then lose to Alabama? And does the committee look at a Georgia team that at that point will have beaten some some pretty good teams, including Auburn? Um, and you know, L- LSU. And LSU at, at Baton Rouge, right? Um, you know, does, he, does the SEC get two in again, which would make the rest of the country irate, but it. <laughs> But the committee doesn't really care about that, uh, and that's to their credit. You know, when it's 13 people, it's hard for 13 people to all be swayed by, uh, you know, internet outrage. Yeah. 13 people typically, uh, like they made the right decision last year, and you remember you had the same, <laughs> the same group of um, people that always, you know, the the SEC antagonists, as I like to call them. Um, cry bloody foul that Alabama got in and what did Alabama do? They went ahead and whooped up on their first opponent and then won, won the national championship, kind of validating the fact that they deserve to be in the playoff. And that, that's happened twice uh, in terms of the, that fourth team that doesn't necessarily win the conference, getting in and winning the whole thing. Yeah, Ohio, exactly. Ohio State, when they won the national title lost in to 2014, Tech. yeah, they, they lost to Virginia Tech and Penn State actually – Oh, yeah. All right. So, no, they did get in as the conference champion. Penn State won it the next year, I think, or something. And Ohio State got in and got beat. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that that, was the, yeah. Ohio State was the controversial fourth team that Correct. got in. Because uh, Penn State won. And, and T- yeah. TCU and Baylor were the big 12 teams. They were jockeying to get in. Okay. And so, so now Alabama, so it, it, twice in four years, the number four seed has won the national championship in the college football playoff. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, which I think t- tells you that seedings really don't mean anything. No, it did. I mean, <laughs> not not in football, basketball. Yeah, I mean, football. No, no. Right. You know, I, I think most people don't like the four compared to a six or an eight. But one thing we can all agree on: if you're if you're good enough to get to the four, mm-hmm. chances are you're good enough to win it all. Doesn't mean you will, but it's not like you have to go through this magical six game run like you do in basketball where eventually you know the, the luck's going to run out the, the slipper's not going to fit there are no cinderellas in a four-team playoff and you only have to win twice i mean so even if you're an underdog in both games you can pull that off so that is the one thing about the four-team play i think we i think most of us would like to see it expanded but you can't argue the fact that the four that are in there are damn good teams uh more often than not um under the radar games, I know you'll keep your eyes certainly on South Carolina, Kentucky. Uh, big game for both teams for a number of different reasons. That'll be up there in Lexington. The Gamecocks trying to snap a, a nasty four-game losing streak to Big Blue Nation. Yeah, it, it's been a frustrating four years against Kentucky for the Gamecocks. But this is the best Kentucky uh, out of those four previously that have beaten South Carolina. This is the best Kentucky team they've had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're they're kind of a throwback team. They kind of bleed you to death. They're going to run the ball. They're going to play defense. 
uh, and they're going to wear you down. Uh, and I think that gets kind of into Mark Stoops and, and his philosophy. You know, I've said it for years. Going into Ohio and being Ohio heavy with your recruiting is smart. It's the northernmost uh, SEC football team. You can offer kids in that state, which is talent rich, something different. They're not getting a lot of kids that Ohio State and Michigan offered. Very few. Uh, but they are getting some kids that Michigan State and Iowa and Wisconsin and some really, really good football programs have signed out of Ohio over the years. And uh, you also have a lot of good offensive linemen uh, in, that, in that state. So I think it's been smart how he's kind of put it together. You know, Benny Snell's an Ohio guy. Uh, he's from Westerville, Ohio. Uh, th- those two, Darius West and Mike Edwards at, at safety that I mentioned earlier, Ohio kids, um, you know, and, and I thought that was smart when he came. And if you look at it, you know, after the 2013 season, Mark Stoops, Derek Mason, Brett Bielema, and not Butch Jones. Not Butch Jones was the year before. Um, am I correct in saying that? No. This was the 2013 season. Okay. For, so forget I mentioned Derek Mason. It was Gus Malzahn. Mark Stoops, Brett Bielema, and um, Butch Jones. Okay? Mm -hmm. And if you would have told me that I would have have figured Gus Malzahn, given his early success uh, at Auburn, would have been around, but I wasn't 100% sure because a lot of coaches have had big years at Auburn and then tanked out, but I kind of felt like his offense would stick and they'd stick with him, even though it's been precarious. Um, but if you'd have told me the guy with the most job security, and I still think that rings true today, even with Malzahn winning at Auburn, uh, would be it would have been Mark Stoops. I'd have said, I don't know about that. <laughs> right, um, right. You know, because Butch Jones started ripping off top ten recruiting classes. You mm-hmm. know, we talked about Belima in length at length the other day, and he got off to a great start. And you know, I thought what Mark Stoops was doing going into Ohio was was good, but. You know, he lost every single SEC game his first year. Um, and I, I think, you know, going and getting the Wilson kid out of Juco, who's a dual-threat guy, that's been smart. I mean, they, they do, they make, they've made smart decision after smart decision in elevating Kentucky football. It was never going to be overnight. And I think that when you build like that, you have a team like this that comes along every three or four years that, that can that's capable of making some noise. Now, I don't, I don't know if they're going to beat South Carolina or not, but uh, I think so far, you know, based on what I've seen out of Kentucky, they they've got a chance to have a very very special season, you know, because of, of kind of how they're built and the players they have on their roster. Big game for Jake Bentley. I I, I want to see what Jake Bentley does against the most talented defense, no question that Kentucky has had. And of course, as you mentioned, as we both mentioned, they've lost four in a row to Kentucky. This, this team is better really on both sides of the ball, but, but particularly on defense, uh, Kentucky is not a team. You can just push around on the line anymore. They've got they've got a, a, a secondary that looks like a bunch of NBA two guards. They're all like six, four, six, three. Um, and they can get to the passer and they've got some veteran players back there. Uh, I'll be curious to see how how Bentley shows himself. He's coming off a big game against Vanderbilt, where they were able to hit big plays in the passing game. Went over the top uh, a, a number of times in that game. Uh, I want to see if they're able to do that at Kentucky as well. And 
regardless of who wins it, I mean, Kentucky is going to win, barring a debacle of a finish this year. They're going to win seven-plus games for the third year in a row. Mm-hmm. That, to me, that's building a program. And Mark Stoops, to go back to your initial premise, I think he's still got the most job security of that group <laughs> because Gus, Val- Gus Valzon is only as good as how he does against Georgia and Alabama every year. And that You know that fan base. They're always... You know, they, they, oh, uh, okay. Extension. What you lost to fire him, fire him now. Get I don't rid care of him. Fire him. So, uh, you know, three years from now, if we had the same discussion, it could be yet another coaching change. Uh, and it could be Mark Stoops still winning seven games a year at Kentucky. And let me tell you something that's getting it done at UK. Yeah. I know Rich Brooks did that for a while, which I think was the best coaching job they've had there in 30 years, whatever. Uh, and I would say, even though the East has been down, uh, winning at Kentucky hasn't gotten easier necessarily. They haven't made great improvements with facilities. They do have a commitment to football. Uh, but I think they got the right guy for the job. I, I think if you're realistic about what you are as Kentucky football, you got the right guy for the job. Enjoy the ride, and we'll see if they can pull off another win they're, they're nationally ranked for the first time in 11 years yep. uh if they somehow win this game uh and i haven't checked the line are they, are they a slight favorite in that game uh yeah south carolina opened as a one and a half point favorite it's shifted now kentucky is now a one and a half point favorite oh so the smart money or the or the horse money is going on uk yeah uh but if they win that game they could they could crack the top 15 yep. in football which would be uh pretty impressive and then, uh, then they go to a&m the following week so it's, yeah uh, it's another chance for them to go get a big win yeah, and by the way, Benny Snell, he's not going to win the Heisman, but he's one of the best stories in college football, a kid who plays with a chip on his shoulder because he was not highly recruited at all coming out of high school and has is, is broken Randall Cobb's touchdown records there and, again, is going to be uh, an NFL back. As we're running out of time here, Mullen Bowl, Florida, Mississippi State, what are we looking at in Starkville? I think Mississippi State bounces back. Um, you know, and, and I was somewhat disappointed in Mississippi State's defensive line. I mean, look, that was a low-scoring football game until Kentucky opened it, broke it open late, and they probably just wore out. But, uh, I, I, you know, in, in the like the South Carolina game, and I know we're done breaking that down, this will be the best offensive line Kentucky's faced this year with their defensive front. I don't think Florida has – uh, the offensive line that Kentucky does. Uh, and so for Mississippi State's defensive line, this is going to be, you know, a chance for them to kind of redeem themselves a bit. You know, Florida does not have Benny Snell. Uh, what Florida does have are, are some pretty good receivers. They just have to have a guy get them the ball. Uh, and, and they were opp- opportunistic on defense. You know, I, I think the key for Mississippi State Uh, is going to be to get Fitzgerald out and running, making plays, and for him to hit receivers when they're open. And and, and I think if that's the case, you know, given the the emotion and the energy that's going to be in that crowd, because that's their coach (laughs) that uh, left him and went to Florida, and I don't think it was a huge surprise to anybody, you know, that whole program right now wants to prove something. And, And Mississippi State does not play Florida every year. Traditionally, Starkville has been a house of horrors for the Gators over the years. Um, so I, I, I think I think the Bulldogs rebound. Uh, it may be a somewhat low-scoring game, kind of like Florida and Kentucky, but I, I think Mississippi State rebounds and, and gets it back. I do too. I, I think the, the Mississippi State's not going to be 
in the same giving mood that Tennessee was. You're not going to, they're not going to give you four fumbles. Felipe Frank's going to have to complete more than nine passes to pull off this win on the road. I have a feeling Florida might come down to earth and it's not going to have anything to do with Dan Mullen. He'll be the story and TV will focus on that. And it's a great sidebar, but it's just going to come down to, to the Jimmies and the Joes and Mississippi state's a better football team coming off a tough loss. Uh, Florida coming off a convincing win against a Tennessee team that's bad and played worse. Uh, I think Mississippi State wins this game and, and could win it by double digits. But uh, the Mullen Bowl will be will, will get off to a rocky start, I believe, for Dan. Uh, I still think long term Dan Mullen's going to do good things in Gainesville, but I don't think it's going to happen this Saturday. Any other games uh, under the radar before we close shop here, JC, that you'll be looking at? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, Clemson and Syracuse – Believe it or not, you know, this this is an undefeated – this is a battle of undefeated teams. You know, I, I, Clemson, <laughs> you know, lost to them last year up there. It's a noon kickoff at Death Valley. Um, you know, could Syracuse be problematic with their tempo offense if they're firing on all cylinders? Yeah. But, uh, you know, th- that's one I think I'll glance at. Also at noon, West Virginia at Texas Tech. West yeah, Virginia's it's on 12. my list. Yeah, the Red Raiders, if they win that one, uh, you know, the Ryan, Go- no. the Ryan Gosling lookalike out in, in Lubbock, <laughs> he's going to be uh, having even more fun. Um, Tennessee, Georgia, I can't believe it's the CBS game of the week. <laughs> and that's all I'll say about that. That's that's called that's called how do I get ratings fan bait? One thing about Georgia and Tennessee fans, gonna good or bad, in, they're, yeah. they're going to tune in, man. They'll get a good number. Uh, Virginia Tech is at Duke. Chance for Duke to go to five and zero on the season, and and with all the the turmoil the Hokies have had, I mean, I wouldn't want to be going to Durham right now. Duke's twenty second in the country, by the way, uh, and then. Uh, something that's sort of intriguing, and I, 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 you know, I think uh, Kalani Sataki has done a great job at BYU. I mean, he was kind of on the hot seat. Now they're kind of uh, back, so to speak. BYU plays, goes to Seattle and plays at Washington, 8.30 p.m. kickoff on Fox. Can they go and pull another Titanic upset on the road? I don't know that they're going to be able to do it at Husky Stadium, but uh, still a game kind of worth glancing at. Georgia, Tennessee, Georgia is a 32 point favorite. I I think I read somewhere that is the highest favorite uh, that Georgia has been over Tennessee. I know it's since we went to divisions in the league in 92, but probably well before that. I mean, that is Hmm. (laughs) that's the kind of lines you used to see back when Vandy was Vandy and back when Florida was Florida and Spurrier would go into. Commodore Stadium as a 35-point favorite. You're not used to seeing that with Georgia-Tennessee, two of the bell cow programs of the conference, but uh, that is the case, and it could get ugly once again for the Volunteers. I'll tell you what, it won't get ugly in your wardrobe if you call up Brent Skinner. If you go ahead and do what so many have done, including myself, and go to bpskinnerclothiers.com, set up an appointment, and like he did a week ago, he will come to your house. He came to mine here in Atlanta, uh, it doesn't matter if it's a drive or a flight away. If you're serious about looking better, sometimes we wait for like holidays, like Valentine's Day or Father's Day to actually do something about our appearance and wait for somebody to give us a new tie or something. Don't do that. Do something for yourself. You don't have to be a holiday to look good. 
doesn't have to be a holiday to treat yourself to looking the very best you can with custom-made suits, custom-made shirts, great accessories, the very best that you can possibly look and be done with one man and one outlet. Brent Skinner of BPSkinnerClothiers.com. So go ahead, check out the website, give them a phone call, set up an appointment with Brent, and he will come to your place and make sure you will look your very, very best. Also want to mention uh, ATS Sportswear. Go see my man uh, Stephen Gravely down there. If you need, like, you need shirts for your family reunion, you need softball uniforms, uh, maybe your lunchtime or YMCA basketball team is yes. going to play in the Final Four and you need uniforms. Oh, I should have done this already. We were in the championship game for crying out loud. That's what I'm saying. Hook it up with ATSSportswear.com. Custom designed embroidery, business shirts, sports shirts, whatever. They have four Graphic artist on staff. They specialize in quick turnaround and quality work. Uh, give Steven a text or a call at 864-346-3401 or email him, sgravely, S-G-R-A-V-E-L-Y, 1967 at gmail.com. That's ATS Sportswear, a proud sponsor of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. If you tell them you heard it here, you get 15% off. Wow. I'll tell you, my utopia involves a lot of things, talking dogs, uh, <laughs> you know, personal air travel without having to get on a plane. But my utopia also has people walking around with finely knitted JC and Morgan podcast t-shirts from ATS. Mm. So I, I'm just, just, just throwing that out there. That's, that's my utopia. I'm, I'm daring to dream, but, um, that's what I see. Just a flock of people wearing them everywhere across this great land of ours. That's going to do it for us for JC Morgan. J.C. Sherbert, and, <laughs> and that's when you know you've gone too long and you're on an empty stomach. For J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long. Enjoy the weekend of games. Hope your team wins, everybody, and we'll talk about it again next week on the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space, space. space to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped Stripe. boat neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store custom closet sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from.